Hello ladies and gentlemen out there. Once again, this is Damager, old school AOD, representing Crime Time, Golden Spike Empire, and the Apostle International. Today I have an extra special treat for you guys and gals out there. Someone who has been um, somewhat of a mystery amongst many circles and a king of kings here in 801, an origin, an originator, a founder, a true inspire and leader, uh, as anybody who knows him would say, a no greater friend and no worse enemy. So with no further ado, let me introduce you to the one, the only, the ninja-like skill, <laughs> Sledge Rock AOD. How are you, Sledge? Doing well. <laughs> Good. So I wanted to start off a little bit. There's a lot of mystery about who you are. A lot of kids nowadays uh, only remember you through some of the pictures, some of the stories. I'd like to start off first by uh, introducing you or introducing, introducing people to you from your name. Did you always go by Sledge? Yep. Always. Oh, always? How long, have, how long have you had that name? Since... 80, 89. Since 89. And was it? Was there any additional um, names added to that? Was it just always Sledge, or what was it originally? No, it's just Sledge. Throw on a bunch of other stuff now and then. Sledge 1, Sledge Rock. Okay, dope. That's awesome. So it's been a long time you've been uh, writing Sledge. How did you get involved in graffiti? Who, who was your first inspiration and what motivated you to start picking up the marker? What did that look like for you? First inspiration was just punk rock stuff. Before I wrote Sledge, I ran around writing just political shit all over everything and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then I met a friend of mine, a guy named Skid from San Francisco, who was just a bomber who was living out here for a while. And he kind of summed it up. You know, we we hung out every day and shit, just going to shows and skateboarding and climbing rooftops and everything downtown. And one day he just sat me down and he said, you know, well, ask me why I wasn't just writing. And I wasn't even really familiar with it. And this was in 88. And, you know, the way he put it is, you know, I kind of said, well, I'm writing all this stuff for a reason. You know, just a punk rock kid out talking shit on everything. He said, you know, you come up with a name, people know who you are. That one name means all that shit. So, you know, it's kind of just distilling it down to that. And that's pretty much where it came from. We're on. Oh, so anyway, so yeah, that struck a chord and I started thinking about it and I just went with that. And just, uh, I don't know, whatever, being a fucking hardcore kid, punk rock kid, whatever, it was basically just shortening Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. So that's all that was. Hard as nails. I don't know about that, but that's all that was. <laughs> well, your graffiti has certainly been hard as hell and has inspired a lot of people. Um, you know, out of all the interviews I've done so far, there's been one consistent name that has led inspiration, being the most uprider. <laughs> And truly a king of kings, and that is you, Sledge Rock. Um, 
what was the first crew you were involved with? How did you get started in, in crew? As far as crews go, well, work was around from the start. He was, uh, we were both friends with Skid, and, you know, we both ran around, you know, before we even wrote graffiti. Graffiti had names and did that kind of shit and even knew what any of that was. He was doing the same thing I was. And then Ego, you know, we hooked up with him through the same thing, through the punk rock scene. So we all kind of hung around together. Then none came into it, and we started TBH. And then there were a bunch of kids that it, TBH got big pretty quick. Yeah, and for those that don't know, for those that don't know what TBH is, let them know what what that stands for. Well, back then it stood for Tag Blasting Hoods. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. Oh man, it's so dope. Uh, so when you're talking about like hardcore and punk rock, explain a little bit more about that because there's a lot of kids out there that only strictly listen, say, to hip hop and think that graffiti's just strictly, you know, turntables and dancing and doing some graffiti art. What's your take on all of that? Uh, when, when you think about your origins being being hardcore and, and uh, punk rock, I don't think the original guys were hip hop. I mean, Taki, I don't think he came from the hip hop thing. Perhaps he did somewhere along the line, but I mean, you definitely have to give give that aspect of it respect and credit because that's where it blew up that's where it really took root became a whole part of that subculture and i mean without without being a part of that you wouldn't have well you wouldn't have shit you wouldn't have anything like what you have today you'd have kids running around you know doing what i did writing slogans and just you know maybe doing some random like street art stuff but you would not have a graffiti scene you wouldn't have you wouldn't have that whole culture so it's a, it's a huge, huge part of it, but that's not how I got into it, and that's not how a lot of people I know got into it. You know, there were kind of waves with it. You had the hip-hop wave. That came out, and that's when the shit blew up. Yeah. But then after that, you know, it kind of, the graffiti part kind of faded, except for in the big cities. And when it really spread and went insane is when all these other kids got into it. Skate punks, you know, just all sorts of different kids, and, you know, a lot of them got into it you know kind of for the same thing for me you know kind of a political thing or you know a lot of them were just bored and they were just out to fuck shit up whatever but you know that's that's where the majority of like the second wave really came from wasn't even so much part of the hip-hop thing if anything they got into hip-hop through graffiti rather than the other way around so so when you talk about punk rock and stuff um Explain a little bit about that. Is it literally punk rock, hardcore music? You talking slam dancing, shit like that? I mean, well, yeah, I, I got into the whole punk rock thing first, but quickly, you know. It, how, uh, how how old were you when you got into that scene? I started listening to it and kind of researching it. Back then, you didn't have the internet and the shit wasn't marketed to you. If you wanted to get into it, I mean, you know, you met somebody who had some tape, you heard it, liked it. You bugged the shit out of everybody you knew trying to find out where to get it. And it was kind of secretive, you know? You had to go through hell just to find out where a record store was or where the shows went on. It was completely the opposite of what it is now. So, you know, it was like that. And, I mean, I started listening to the stuff and getting into it when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. You know, it struck a chord with me. When I was 14 is when I really started going to shows, got into the whole skinhead thing, the straight edge thing, which back then straight edge has, a, you know, it, it's got nothing to do with what it does today. I don't understand any of this shit today, but I'm old and grumpy, so. 
So when you when you say skinhead, let's make a distinction there because there's a lot of people from different ethnicities and backgrounds that may just kind of lump that into like some kind of hatred gang or sort of thing. What's 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 the real perspective on what skinhead really means when you're talking about hardcore? And you're talking about we're talking about your contribution to graffiti and how that shaped who you are uh, as a writer and as a man today. Uh, how would you define skinhead so people out there really know what skin skin really means? Well, the original skinhead shit came from shit poor working class English kids. The whole uniform comes from that's what they could afford. The Doc Martens that was the that was the only work boot to have. The rest of the stuff is just what was cheap to wear. The bald head came from living in tenements and working in shitty factories. They didn't. It was the only way to insure against lice. So, you know, that's kind of where that part of it came from. But that was just that. You know, it was just working-class kids, and there was no cohesive thing. By no means could you call it a movement or even a subculture until those kids started hanging out with the Jamaican rude boys, the big Jamaican immigrant population in London and in England. You know, and that's when it actually, that's where half of the culture comes from. It's like half, you know, just working class and half, you know, Jamaican rude boy shit. Early, early stuff. So, to call yourself a skinhead and be white power or what have you makes about as much sense to me as being a mulatto and hating your black or white side. It it makes no sense and it gives short shrift to the entire thing. As you're out there listening to all of this, uh, we're actually, let me if I can set the stage for you, we're sitting in a very nice park here in uh, downtown Salt Lake City. It's uh, late November, it should be, uh, you know, the beginning of some heavy winter, and it looks nothing less than a glorious spring-filled day. The sun is shining, and as you hear uh, noise and destruction behind us, that's just going to add to the authenticity of this interview. And if you hear us talking to pretty girls as they walk by, you might hear us <laughs> say hi and whatnot. Uh, there's been a couple so, so far. But allow that to add to your experience as we're talking to Sledge, gaining the philosophies is what literally has shaped the hip-hop foundation here and the graffiti movement in Salt Lake. And... Um, uh, Sledge, uh, so punk rock was really where you came from. I mean, that's really who you were. Would that be a fair assessment? Yep. How 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 did how did punk rock parallel graffiti for you? I mean, so obviously you started doing political statements, and then and then once you learned about the name being everything that you represent, did the music and the scene you come from did that reinforce your art at all? Well, yeah, I mean, part of it's just the whole anti-authoritarian thing, and, you know, it was just kind of a way to fight back and, you know, let let the mainstream, let the powers that be, what have you, know that you were there and that there wasn't really a damn thing they could do about it. <laughs> that's, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much where it came from. That's dope, man. That's really <clears throat> dope. So... TBH, how long was TBH around for you? How long were you involved in TBH? And what were some of the most defining moments, relationships, or experiences through that that best added to who you who you became as an artist? Uh, that's hard to say. I mean, everybody was. You know, the whole crew. And it was around for years. And, I mean, everybody contributed. That was... That was the good part of it, you know. It wasn't like there was a, a shot collar or any any of that sort of thing going on. It was just everybody contributing and everybody gets together. Everybody influenced everybody else. But you know, there ended up being kind of a schism with that, and then 
pretty much me, you, and uh, Nunner broke off, started something called PBS for about five minutes until we came up with the better name of AOD, and then it just went from there. We ended up picking up, well, damn near the whole TBH crew again, plus a bunch of others, and kind of went, you know, got not just out of the city, but out of the state, and got got guys from everywhere. Explain that a little bit more. Let people, let, let's, uh, when you say AOD, because I remember the very day you called me up and said, I got a new crew. Uh, I, I remember something along the lines of what is it? You said AOD. Uh, this is just like a kick in the fucking throat. Like, I was like, that's the hardest shit I'd ever heard. What, when you came up with that, what did AOD mean? What, were, what, what did the acronym mean? What did it stand for for you? Well, there were a few. <clears throat> and of course, it just snowballed from there. Everybody would just. It got to the point where AOD meant whatever somebody was thinking at the moment, you know. But when we first came up with it, it was all-out destruction, act of defiance. Those were the two main ones. But then, you know, it over the years, like I said, it just turned into... It was just AOD and everybody wrote whatever. I mean, if somebody was out loaded and bombing, it was always out drunk or always on drugs. So it ran the gamut from the serious to just, like retarded shit you thought up at the moment <laughs> and and let, let's uh, share with the listeners here now what because i want i want everybody to understand that uh, you know sledge's contribution to hip-hop here in salt lake wasn't just some of the foundation wasn't just some of the lead inspiration to 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 graffiti writers out there painting and and crews starting up and wanting to stay motivated and stay one up on us or or always around us whatever um but but literally you have moved around a lot and through that i mean really inspired big artists i mean kids now knowing some nationwide artists from different crews what what states have you been in where has aod really gone um you know, at, at, at its prime, where do you recall AOD being? Well, the biggest thing is Ego moved up to Seattle. And, you know, he was pushing it up there. And he got in with another crew called BAM, who are a bunch of, you know, they're good. They're a bunch of down motherfuckers. They're like a, they're like the quintessential hip-hop crew. You know, that's, that's where all of them came from. They're what you think of when you think of hip-hop graffiti writers. Down as fuck, cool ass guys. Artwork's just incredible. He got down with them, and I ended up moving up to Seattle, <clears throat> and uh, obviously pushing it up there. And just from going up and visiting him, even before I moved, you know, just meeting guys. And there was another crew called BTM, you know, and they had they did have sick artists and everything, but bombing was their thing. I mean, they just crushed it. Bottle throw, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big time mob. They crushed everything. Uh, Bomb King Tread and Core. I mean, there were BTM was a big crew, and we kind of hooked up with them, and so it was kind of. And Lady City Riders, it was an all-girl graffiti crew, and word piece to Lady City Riders. Yep, and they held their own. Not just you know when you said they were good, it wasn't oh they're good for being girls. It was they're good. They, they're fucking you know, good. <laughs> yeah, they held their own with everybody, bombing, piecing everything. They're they're as down as anybody. And, I, you know, it almost sounds kind of chauvinistic to say that, oh, they were as good as the guys, and I don't really mean it that way. But So that's why I say just as far as riders go, they were as good as anybody, and, you know, their crew was tight. They were just hard. So, you know, it, that there was kind of a circle there with, with all of us and, you know, AOD picking up riders up there, and it got – that was – next to Salt Lake, that was the biggest place for it. So – now I know uh, through uh, 
through our history, obviously, um, there's been, you know, I've witnessed several relationships that you had developed in, in the graffiti movement, and some of these guys are uh, from notorious big, 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 big crews, and uh, all contributed to AOD. Um, who would you say, because, you know, with AOD, what I remember is maybe there hasn't been one specific relationship that shaped, you know, me, and I, de- I definitely can't speak for you, but... And I don't want to put it out there like there may be one relationship that was most significant or not. Because just knowing you, it's never been like that for you. But what artists in your history had the most profound difference in them being in your lives or in their art or you're witnessing that? What, who, which artists most inspired you and as a relationship with them uh, really helped define what you were all about? That's just hard to say. The thing about AOD as a crew and the... the the way I think we were able to to roll in as hard as we did, no matter where we went, is we weren't just a graffiti crew. You know, it wasn't just, well, you know, he's not pushing it, so he's out. Shit like that. If somebody wasn't real active at the time, it was, you know, we were a crew. We were all friends. We were, you know, it was tight that way. out Completely outside of it, you know, in personal lives, AOD was, was a huge thing. So, I mean, to say anything, you know, as far as AOD goes... One of our biggest strengths is we had so many people doing so many totally different things. Ego's artwork is like nobody else's. You know, we had guys like Tread and Sober who bomb like nobody else. I mean, you know, Work's artwork is like nobody else's. You know, there was no AOD style. Fewer's artwork's like nobody else's. Rest, yours. In, rest in peace, Fewer. Yep. Yours is like nobody else's. I mean... There was no, there was no AOD style. You know, you couldn't look at one piece and say, "Oh, that's definitely AOD." You know, and, and so in that way, everybody influenced each other, and I think that really, especially you know, when we got together for productions or something like that, rather than, you know, having it look like you know, even crews that just do sick pieces and you know have sick style, they've got like a crew style, and it looks cool, but it's not. You know, you had such a such a uh, what's the word such a variety of styles and everybody had their own different thing that when we got together and did you know productions or anything like that it was just it was totally different than what other people were doing simply because you had so many different things coming into it but I think I think anyway we pulled it off <laughs> I would say so especially with uh, uh, some of these interviews as I'm talking to people and hearing about how AOD inspired them. Did you ever, when you were doing graffiti, did that ever occur to you? That that's this kind of aftermath that that for years later people would be saying, "Oh my God, look at that shit! That sledge rock, motherfucker! AOD! Oh my goodness!" Did did any of that ever cross your mind when you were bombing or painting? I never thought anybody outside of what was immediately going on would give a shit about it. Certainly not down the road. I mean, we had guys, you know, everywhere. You know, I, you know, for a long time there, we would do area code roll calls, places we had guys pushing it, and they were bigger than a lot of crews, you know, name roll calls. And like I said, the beauty... Like, like geographically, like, geographically. Like, what, like what kind of parameter are you talking about? It wasn't just Seattle and Salt Lake. No, at one point we had, you know, we had somebody in London pushing it. Sober was out there. And then at the same time, we had Cheetah... Another, you know, BTM, girl from BTM was writing, and she was, you know, hitting up AOD out in Hawaii. So, from London to Hawaii, and, you know, 
a whole lot of places in between. You know, San Francisco, Portland, Vegas, Colorado, mostly the West because that's where, you know, we were and that's where we were able to travel to. And that's the other thing, the AOD guys, we, we traveled a whole hell of a lot. So just going around and meeting people that way and getting up in cities and, you know, getting down with people, you know, that's it. That's kind of, we spread out quite a bit there for a while. That's so dope, dude. That's so dope. I know it's been really mm-hmm. widespread and I remember a lot of those roll calls as well. And, um, a lot of, a lot of the artists that have best shaped me, uh, not just the AOD here and the diversity within our own crew locally, but, but how we continue to expand and accentuate uh, our diverse crew with the different relationships we establish outside of state. Um, uh, you know, Whirler, Tilt, Aon, uh, fucking, <laughs> uh, oh man, I mean, I, I could just go off here for a minute, dude, about the people in Seattle just alone that I had met through you, stuff like that. So, Tread, you know, he was a big bomber, as you had mentioned earlier, and uh, that's going to be an exciting interview that we get to have another time. But, um, what was your forte? Were you strictly, let, uh, you know, if you were to talk to, uh, how would you describe yourself? Were you just strictly a bomber? What was your take on that? What did you love to do? Where did you best, where did your creative pursuits really take you? What did you love doing most? Everything. I mean, you know, you'd go through phases where I was out pen bombing more than anything for a long time, or, you know, I was just concentrating on trains for a while there. Um, so beyond trains and stuff, uh, what else did you, did you get into anything else? Well, no, I mean, you know, when I first got into it, obviously it was just tagging. I had no idea about throw-ups or anything else. So then I started doing throw-ups and then pieces, and I really concentrated on trying to get good with that because I thought that's what it was all about. But the more the more I got into it, for me at least, graffiti, you know, you got guys who just do walls. You got guys who just do trains. And to me, that just that doesn't cut it, you know. That's great for them, and I respect a lot of those guys who do that shit. And, I mean, they specialize in it, and it shows that they specialize in it because their shit comes off harder than anybody else's who's doing that sort of thing. But for me, I get off just as much on just doing alleyway silver pen bombing, hitting standpipes, hitting shit that somebody might not even see for years, hitting shit that nobody's going to see. You know, there's a chance no one will see except some bum taking a piss in an alleyway might look over and see it and think, what the fuck is that, you know? But that, that, to me, I get off as much on that. And to me, that's just as important as going to a wall, sitting down and doing a full production and spending, you know, a full day doing it. I don't, to me, that doesn't mean any, any more than catching a pen tag on a, on a parking meter. So, to me, it, it, it's got to be everything. And, I, you know, other people, don't, that's, that's their thing. I don't really care. I don't hold it against people. But, you know, to me, that's, it, it's all-encompassing. It's, it's everything. Fucking stickers. It doesn't matter. Scribes. Mud. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Pick up a stick, get some mud on it, and write on a wall if you think something needs to be there and you don't have any other any other utens- any other tool to put it on there. <laughs> were there ever uh, a code of ethics or rules that you would adhere to when you were bombing? Was anything ever off limits to you? Mm-hmm. What about your parameters of respect in bombing and stuff? You know... I don't know. It might seem kind of ironic or perhaps even hypocritical. I'm, I'm pretty anti-religious, but I will not hit, I won't hit, you know, religious institutions. I try to stay away from schools for the most part, you know, regardless of what I think about the public school system. It's, you know, personal property to me is, you know, you don't hit someone's house or fucking car or something. I mean, well, you see a derelict car and, you know, eventually it's just gone. Nobody really owns it anymore. Fuck it. Hit it. It's going to look funny. 
But as far as, you know, something that's going to put somebody who's just trying to make a living out, that's fucked up. As far as, like, the schools or charitable organizations, religious organizations, whatever, the money they spend cleaning your shit off could go towards, you know, putting clothes on some homeless guy's back or, you know, buying textbooks for for some kid or buying a new computer for a classroom. So to me, that's off limits. I, I, I mostly try and concentrate on on government property or, you know, big business, whatever places, you know, and if it's outside of government, you know, places that can absorb it. But, you know, there are spots that are just too good and you got to hit them. <laughs> now, what about like uh, other people's art and sculptures and, and, uh, you know, um, uh, m- monuments like that nature uh, canyons we live we live right here with seven canyons 10 minutes around from us uh nature stuff like this your perspective well obviously you know you, i try to stay away from people's art there's no sense in in hitting someone's sculpture that just seems kind of shitty you know nobody wants their art gone over so obviously you not know, i'll stay away from that as far as you know nature goes <clears throat> why would you go up a canyon that's already beautiful in and of itself you know, you're not going to make any any bold political statement or anything, you know, hitting some rock on the side of the road up the canyon. You just look like an asshole. So, you know, I, I do stay away from that. There have been times where I've been drunk and hit trees, which, <laughs> you know, it was a good spot, man. It, it, it got noticed. Felt stupid afterwards. I tried to stay away from that. But, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> you might be drunk downtown and there's a tree right out. And yeah, yeah, sometimes you do dumb shit. <laughs> we, as we all have, that's for sure. Um, Sledge, let's talk about some of your training. You're one of the most versatile, well-rounded, most disciplined graffiti writers in in, in Utah history. Um, you were a master, most one of the most up all city riders as tagging. Uh, you did fucking more throw-ups than I can remember any artist since doing. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a new kid. There's two new kids today. One's named Animal and one named Siva that's only barely scratching what you're able to contribute, but is certainly by far the most uprighter now. Um, but I also remember a period of time that you did trains. What uh, Did you love the trains? I mean, explain a little bit about your contribution to Nationwide uh, the 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 uh, how, how should we refer to trains? A uh, uh, rolling canvas, uh, uh, international art distribution, or nationwide art distribution? How would you how would you refer to trains? Let's talk about your train experience. Yeah, I mean that's that's the shit about trains is they're nationwide. You know, so you put in your work, everybody's going to see it. I mean, I've got. I went into the hip hop shop here one day, and they said, "Hey, we got the, a stack of photos, and there are a bunch of years in it. You know, take a look and." see if you want any of them or, you know, see what people have sent in, you know, and it was all from a kid who, who traded photographs with other kids, you know, I mean, there are kids out there who do nothing but spend all day in the yards taking pictures of all the shit they see, and then they trade them around, you know, the way other people bootleg music, shit like that, and I mean, you know, I'd get phone calls from out-of-state guys or whatever saying they saw my shit roll through, and that's a big rush, you know, fuck yeah, you know, but, you know, you see, you know, there's a picture, you know, it came from Florida, there was another picture from I want to say Rhode Island or Massachusetts and of, of your shit of my shit in the same box you know there was one from uh, Los Angeles and you know obviously my shit was in Seattle and you know I had tons of pictures from that and then I realized fuck that's all four corners plus you know they go Mexico Canada and everything so 
You're locking it down harder than FEMA, dude. <laughs> Shit. But, you know, to me, the whole the whole attraction to trains, well, I, I take that back, not the whole attraction, but one of the big attractions is, you know, it's almost like a, like a modern-day message in a bottle. You put your shit on there, it might just go to some middle-of-nowhere place and cart shit back and forth, you know, 10 miles back and forth to something, and nobody's ever going to see it. But by the same token, some graffiti kid in Florida fucking sees it, you know? So there's, you know, there's that aspect of it. Plus, I just, I've always been obsessed with trains ever since I was a kid. And, you know, the whole hobo culture, everything... So, you know, I just like being in the yards. There's all that movement. Everything's going on. You never know if you're in the middle of, you know, the best piece you've ever done, and the fucking thing rolls out. <laughs> I remember a couple of times we were actually painting where that had actually happened, and running side by side with the train as it's taken off, just working to finish it. Yep. Who knows how much unfinished shit I've... Well, all my shit's been unfinished, but... <laughs> yeah, so there's that. I mean, you know, and you got the same shit you got when you're bombing in a city. You, know, you got the bulls. They get the cops in on it dogs what have you so you 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 know you got that same thing where you're trying to keep one step ahead of the law and then on top of that you got to worry about you know your shit leaving unfinished you got to worry about not hearing something rolling back and you being in the wrong place and losing limbs or literally getting killed that's happened you know to, to many people so you know there's just that whole that whole part of it just adds to it going in and you know we'd always bring jug of wine and cigars and shit like that go bombing and you know hobos come up to you stop shoot the shit with them listen to their stories try to get information on the yards you know on everything so so yeah trains were a big one for me i i'm still in love with the whole freight scene talking about the trains what um what are some of the most memorable experiences when you were like all engrossed in your creative contribution, finishing it up, knowing it's going to go nationwide, what were some of the more shocking experiences or surprising experiences that you'd had in the lines, being bulls or bows, uh, or just, you know, trash and junkies and fucking gangsters or whatnot? Share with us just a couple experiences. Man, I don't even know where to start with that. One of the yards we used to hit here, we called it the junkyard, because when you'd go into it, You'd duck down and look underneath the trains to see if feet were coming, and you'd see nothing but lighters going from everybody cooking their shit up. That's part of the reason I started wearing boots in the yards, no matter what. You know, I would not step foot in the train yard without boots. One, you're not going to break your ankles, and two, the idea of someone's used rig flipping up and giving you God knows what through a pair of Nikes, fuck that. (laughs) I'm not trying to catch that shit. So between some of the, you know, the wild-ass homeless people that, might snap on you and the law and everything you know getting chased out of yards we had to hop we ended up hopping in a coal car once riding from one yard halfway across town into the other yard because they had the dogs on us we got out you know pitch black from head to toe from all that coal whipping around and shit um beef in the yards you know having to well you know beef I don't know if you want to get into that shit. <laughs> Let's we can talk about that really quick. What, what kind of beef has occurred for you in the yard? I don't know. We've had shit. Um, you know, I, I don't like the whole tag banger thing, but simple fact is when you're putting yourself out there and in, in that kind of environment, and it's you know, you, it's just like anything, any any group of people or any clique or any any culture, subculture, whatever. You got knuckleheads. You know, you got people that are just out. Sometimes, you know, they're just jealous, so they try to fuck you up because they can't beat you bombing or they're, 
just jealousy. Then you get, you know, other beef that just spirals. Okay. So definitely committed to handling your own uh, personally or crew. But, you know, one thing I know about you is you've always been forgiving and, uh, you know, tolerant of people yeah, to a degree. Uh, you've always been allowing people to... to to uh, come right by their own mistakes and, and have a chance to own up to that. And there's always been a chance of forgiveness before action's been taken. I mean, it's only been, in my experience of you, there's only been a few circumstances where people were just fucked up so bad that the only response was a direct one. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, with, with anything, with life, not just graffiti, this is just going to transfer over to graffiti. I mean, you got to stand up for yours. And if it means standing up and catching a fucking beat down by 10 guys... Then you stand up and catch a beat down by 10 guys. If if you're in the right, fuck it, take it. You know what I mean? It shows them that that's what it is. You got to do, you, you got to, you know, you got to stand up for yours. But by the same token, to me, being a man isn't fucking up and just standing up for it, you know, no matter what. You know, that just goes to the whole might, make, might makes right thing, and that's fucking stupid. You know, so you, you always got to give somebody a chance to to realize their mistake and try and make some kind of amend even if it's just a hey you know sorry i fucked up you know leave it at that because i mean a real man's going to realize where he fucked up and apologized and i've done that to the point where i was you know pretty much just kissing ass because i'd fucked up bad enough or done something shitty enough to somebody that it was warranted you know and it's it's a hell of a lot harder to do that to go to somebody and say hey look i fucked up you know if you want to beat the fuck out of me I can't really hold it against you, you know, but, you know, what, whatever you want to do, whatever you think I need to do to make it right, within reason, obviously, let's do it. That, to me, is a hell of a lot harder than fucking up, you know, somebody wants to, somebody wants to fucking make it right, regardless of how, and you just fuck them up back. Then you're just compounding what an asshole you were in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if it, if it comes to that and someone isn't going to someone isn't gonna isn't gonna fix the thing isn't gonna rectify the situation then you fucking rectify it for them i guess <laughs> well said well said so we're, we're we're talking about well a little bit of everything and with you sledge that's you know that's uh if i can say it that way you are you are quintessentially a little bit of everything uh, at least in my experience philosopher um, uh, pragmatic activist. You are also uh, action-oriented when it comes to your ex- expression. Um, uh, supporting homeboys and crew, family. Um, you, you know, you've always been down for yours. I'd like to talk a little bit about how you evolved from just graffiti, like bombing and tagging, into doing piecing. What were there artists that? you know you became aware of that really inspired that what did that look like to you what crews started really shaping your influence as far as color schemes and uh you know your creative ability to do piecing and and talk a little bit about your evolution of doing graffiti all together as piecing and stuff like that well so there's a little bit of a lot of questions but let's back it up though how did you how did you transition from tagging into piecing well you know i mean back then you had subway art and spray can art Spray can art, I think, came out right around the same time we were trying to get into that shit. Then so, these are magazines or books? No, the, the Martha Cooper, Henry Chalfont books. Those were the, as far as any external influence goes, those were the two influences for us. Because that was all that was there. There were no magazines. There wasn't shit, you know. If you went to other cities, you know, there were other writers. And 
you know, it's kind of a two-edged sword with that. And part of the reason I think we had such a diversity of styles and, and everything in AOD is, you know, we started early enough in Salt Lake's history that there was nothing to look at. So on the one hand, it sucked. You know, it took us three years to get as good as guys in any major city would get in three months because we had nothing to look at. We had nothing to go off of. We had to figure this shit out. You know, we were just reaching around in the dark. Try something. It was god-awful. You don't do that again. So on that on that aspect, it, you know, it was horrible. You know, you meet, you know, you go out of town, you meet somebody. Hell, they might even be better than you, you know. So how long you been writing? Oh, four years. How long have you been writing? A few months. <laughs> you, you know, you, you feel fucking stupid. But on the other hand, without having all that stuff to look at, you know, we were forced to come up with our own shit. So I think that's where the originality, you know, it, it definitely it definitely helped a lot with, with the originality of, of the work the guys were putting out. So, you know, influence-wise, you know, and then traveling around, obviously anything you see is going to influence you. For me, my biggest influence was my grandmother. When I was a very small kid, she got me a calligraphy set and started teaching me calligraphy. So I always had a love of letters, of, you know... I never knew that. Till this day, I've always wondered how you were able to pop off with some of the sickest uh, calligraphy, nearly like old English type of fucking graffiti font type letters that I'd ever seen. I'd always wondered that. So that's that's interesting. Explain a little bit more about that. So you got into letters from your grandma? Yeah. How, how old were you, do you think you were? Oh, God, from the time I was able to pick up a crayon, my mo- my grandmother was big on pushing me towards art, you know, and, and books and everything. I've got I've got to give a lot in my life to her. A huge part and you know the lettering and the art definitely she's the one who got me going with that got me interested in art in general letters in particular so to me it's always been about the letters you know I've done characters I've done different things over the years but those to me were complimentary so you know and the term graffiti artist you know is one thing I never I don't really consider myself so much an artist and really haven't you know but especially, you know, in, in the sense, you know, I, I talk to people now and, you know, people refer to me as an artist, just an artist. And I'm really not, not in my book. I don't think so. I mean, if anything, it's just kind of a, I don't know, just to throw out a corny term, I guess I've always just been like a renegade calligrapher. <laughs> renegade calligrapher. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to really put it, but that's really all it is, you know. And we've got tons of guys in the crew and, you know, a lot of friends that are they're straight artists word, word. and they do graffiti and they're able to bring a lot to the table and a lot to the graffiti world with that you know Ego's a prime example in fact most of the AOD guys are that way I'm kind of I'm, I'm probably the, the least artistically inclined of all of us so and ladies and gentlemen don't let him fool you for a second this is just humble words from a king uh, you know uh, his creative expression as far as being an artist even though you're not uh you know uh you know what what and maybe it's because you weren't and never saw yourself that way that you in a way pushed your own limits and did art that was so dramatic or and so and what i mean by dramatic is just so uninhibited uh, I really look at, you know, we were looking at some of the pictures the other day, some of those old characters from clear back to Lakai Wall, uh, you know, in the early 90s, and some characters that you fucking painted just flipped my lid, and that was like some of the most colorful, most, most articulated um, shit out there, at least especially for that time. So, uh, 
Yeah, I just had to throw that out there, Sledge. I mean, <laughs> I get to give credit to you for where credit is due, and although you don't see yourself as an artist, man, your art is sick as fuck, dog, so. Well, part of the reason my shit was different is, you know, just, this is going to sound silly, but I actually heard one of my, my all-time artistic heroes, and not just artistic, but heroes in life, I just barely read within the last couple weeks, he, he said something that was along the same lines, and it made me feel a lot better about myself, but, you know, a lot of guys can sit down and just whip out a character. They can do realistic shit. They can do, you know, any kind of style. And like I said, you know, the artistically inclined people in the crew can do this sort of thing. And they just have that kind of mind. I didn't. So if I sat down to do a character or something, I tried to do something totally different because nobody can point out, well, that doesn't look like this. Because, <laughs> you know, you you do something that's just its own fucking thing. Someone can't tear it apart and say, well, you were trying to do this and it looks like shit. It's just something different and they can't they can't compare it to something else. So I think I got away with a lot so because of that. What 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 was the thing you read and and made you feel a little bit better about yourself? What was it this who wrote it or whatever and 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 what did it state? Maurice Sendak was talking about his inspiration for uh where the wild things are in a lot of his earlier books. He had tried to do a book about horses. And after he'd gotten halfway through it, he looked at it and just thought, man, that is one shitty looking horse. I can't draw horses for, you know, to save my life. And he sat down and thought, well, what can I draw? And, you know, he thought about different things and he thought, well, shit, I'm going to draw monsters. Because what the hell's a monster? Who's going to say that doesn't look like this monster? So he just pulled things 100% out of his head and look at him. You know, he's, he's God when it comes to his, with what he does, he is God and he will never be surpassed. So I'm not comparing myself to him at all. It just made me feel a little bit better that somebody else kind of had the same, you know, was kind of stuck in the same position. So, so for all you guys out there, you get to rush out. Uh, this we don't get compensated for this whatsoever. But get out and buy that book ASAP. Once again, the title of the book: Where the Wild Things Are. Anything by Maurice Sendak. He draws children's books. You'll fucking love it, and it will be an inspiration for your children and your grandchildren to come. So uh, definitely pick up that book. It's dope as fuck. Um, so I just talked a little bit about uh, um, the evolution of AOD. Um, you know, there's been certainly... <laughs> it's funny, because <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking about a bunch of my, uh, my experiences with you and stuff like that, and, and the best thing about AOD is that you know, we seem to be so dramatically different. Would you agree with about that? Like, just personality. Do you, do you think if it wasn't for graffiti and art that any of us would just all fucking hang out together? Yeah, I think that's one of the good things about AOD. Like, you know, going back to what I was saying about the crew. You know, I mean, we'd call guys out of state, you know, in state, whatever, just meet up. And half the time, the, the conversations had nothing to do with graffiti. Yeah. So it definitely brought us together and definitely, you know, was was some of the glue that held us together. But part of the part of the reason AOD was able to do shit a lot of other crews couldn't do is a lot of other crews, you know, oh, he's a good writer, let's get him in. And that was, you know, the whole relationship was based strictly on graffiti. You know, and, and that, that, I think, to me, is why AOD was such a harder crew and why we were such a tighter crew and able to do things that a lot of other crews weren't able to do. You know, there are other crews out there that did, you know, I'm not saying we were better than anybody, but... As far as I think that's that's a big part of what differentiated us from other crews was the relationship factor between behind behind yeah. the scenes between us all exactly the the tight personal relationships there you know I mean we went we went through hell and back 
through hell through hell and back. That'd be a good name of our little book if we created one. Yeah, I mean, you know, outside of graffiti, we went through hell and back, you know, and and through just incredible times and bad times and everything. And you know, graffiti was always there, and it was, <clears throat> you know, like I said, it was always a, a huge part of it. But by no means was it the only part. So you know, driving around um, from time to time—well, not even time to time. There, I remember uh, several years ago driving around downtown. There wasn't an exit that I could get off uh, approaching downtown Salt Lake City, where um, where I didn't see some kind of sledge rooftop or sledge something, man. Whether that be a piece or whatever. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you know you, you're saying about how we how is AOD. You know, we were able to get up because of the relationship aspect. But let's talk a little bit more about the application side. And maybe I'm delving into what we called and referred to often as AOD secrets. I often, you know, referred to them as like ninja, like ninja secrets, you know, Uh, shadow type ops. But uh, talk to me a little bit about um, if you're open to doing this, how was it that AOD was able to cover so much territory? Were there parameters? Were there kind of rules that you followed when you went out bombing? I mean, I know you did solo, but what did that look like? Did you ever go out as a crew? And oh. and what, uh, what what did kind of that look like? Maybe we can give some education out to other kids out there now because this is the era of face recognition software and kids are getting out there nowadays that should be up and are getting up and are getting pinched all the time. Um, how was it that you were able to, to uh, get up so much as, as AOD? Well, part of it goes back to the whole relationship thing. We were able to trust each other much more. I mean, nobody in AOD ever squealed anybody else off under the worst circumstances. Fewer in work got fucked hard. Way fucked. You know, but they didn't They didn't say a damn thing. Um, Rue, you know, boys from the county, hell, AOD, he, you know, he and I, the closest I've come to really getting busted was with him, and for some reason they, they charged him and not me. You know, he didn't say a word. I still feel bad about that because I didn't help him out with his fines or anything. And someday I'm going to have to fix that. And he's more than welcome to punch me in the face for it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel horrible. But, you know, part of it was just that, the the trust factor, you know, which you don't see. I mean, in any any kind of thing, you don't really see that, that sort of trust factor, especially when you have the amount of heads that we had, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of it with AOD is we got to be friends before somebody got in the crew. Yeah. Regardless of how bad somebody might have wanted to get in or how bad we wanted them in stylistically, you know, there was a lot of hanging out and a lot of shit before somebody got down, and it was a crew decision. If one person in the crew wasn't down, then the person didn't get in, and that was it. So that that was a big help. I mean, it, it sounds like it's off the track, but realistically, we were able to trust each other, not just with the law, but, you know, some of the spots we got, you literally had to trust your life to somebody pulling you up on top of something or, you know, looking out for something happening and getting killed, whatever. So we were able to go out there with a confidence that I don't think, you know, that's kind of rare. And we did do a lot of bombing as a crew, maybe not as a whole crew at once, because that's just, you know. That's kind of crazy having 15 heads out there just bombing one area. But when we did go out, though, uh, partial crew or whatnot, what did that kind of look like? Can you describe what an average night of bombing would look like where... Where, um, how were you able to do so much damage and get up so much? We just went out and did it. You know, one of the one of the good things about it is we didn't have any. I mean, everybody wanted to get out and go balls out, kind of throw caution to the wind, but nobody was stupid about it. 
you know. I mean, we did some stupid shit, you know, talking about crew, you know, going on Main Street, Salt Lake, and, you know, there's a dozen of us walking up the street, and you got none literally hanging off the back of a bus, catching tags, and people <laughs> screaming at him from the bus, you know, and, and passers-by all freaking out, and we're hitting storefronts and shit like that. So we did do some stupid shit, but for the most part, you know, it was... Even the impromptu shit was somewhat planned. We had kind of the, how do you put it, the, uh, you know, we just had our our method, I guess, for a, a lack of, of a better word. You know, we we knew regardless of where the rooftop was, we kind of had a system down to, to get them, so. System, ladies and gentlemen, that was the key phrase, and the other one was method. So for those bombers out there that don't have either method or system, uh, pick up your military manuals, pick up uh, <laughs> operational cue cards, and uh, uh, learn how to harmonize with your crew and uh, harmonize with your object- objectives. <laughs> can, can, we, can I at least say that, uh, you know, pull that out of this conversation? Shit. <laughs> And leave that with these guys. That sounds. That's yeah. I, I feel stupid, but yeah. I mean, it does kind of come to that. Like we, you know, for freeway bombing, we went out wearing you know full camouflage fatigues and face masks and shit, because you never know who might pop out, and at the very least, they can't identify your face. And you know, obviously, freeway bombing. You know, you're hitting spots that are dark at night for the most part, so you're less visible. You know, the chances of actually getting up there and doing some massive throw up or a shitload of them or pieces without any cars driving by on a freeway is just, it's not going to happen. You know, three in the morning, someone's going to drive by. So you got to hide while you're doing it. And I mean, this is common knowledge, but you know, we, we definitely did shit like that or, you know, downtown bombing, lots of disguises, go out, dress like a, you know, like bums and shit and whatever, you know, wearing your dirty shit, fuck it, push a shopping cart full of garbage, whatever. It, it helps a lot. You know, put on nice clothes, put on a fucking suit, and carry a briefcase. Now, what what writers inspired that? Do you remember any people specifically that did that? We all did that. (laughs) That's so dope, dude. (laughs) Me and Sober had tried to go out and just look like homeless people. You know, we'd go out bombing, and first thing we'd look for was, you know, like a some bottle, you know, some brown bag bottle that somebody had left behind. You know cop drives by and sees that he might fuck with you for that but if he's looking for a graffiti writer you know they just got a call on somebody doing some throw-ups and shit they drive past some dirty motherfucker carrying a brown bag they're not going to stop you and hassle you over drinking on the street they're looking for some writer you know you get kids who go out it, it it's always blown my mind man you get guys who go out you know they got their fucking backpack hanging all the way down to their ass their clothes are five sizes too big their fucking shoes aren't laced up they got a graffiti logo on their fucking shirt you know their hats sideways and shit and they're at it two in the morning and they can't figure out why they're getting stopped by the fucking cops you know <laughs> or you know they'll go into the train yard dressed like that you're just asking to get fucking killed you know your shoes are gonna fall off you're gonna trip clothes are gonna get caught on something i mean you know it's like any like any job you know you dress you dress for the for what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> yes, awesome. I'm glad that you clarified that for people, man. That's really, really, really awesome. Um, we could go on for hours about this, and I, I mean, there's probably a billion questions I haven't asked you yet. I know that there's probably even more questions that people out there are clinging to right now as they're listening to this interview, wanting me and willing me. You gonna know, must feel uh, all these countless people willing me to ask you different questions. Um, 
Let's talk about other art uh, as well. So, you know, you've done a lot of piecing. I remember, actually, the first uh, freestyle graffiti piece you, you actually did. Uh, I can actually recall being there with you as you just fucking threw this shit together downtown, down in, a, actually, I think it was Sugar House, on a storefront. It was kind of a wild-style piece, but also throw-up kind of combination. But, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about near run-ins with cops and stuff, because I think that that was one. How did you get out of that? What did it look like? And how did it feel to do your first throw-up, like, wild-style graffiti piece in the heart of, uh, you know, a, a, a major thoroughfare? Man, I don't even know. That's kind of how we started because nobody was – when we started doing it, nobody was tagging. I mean, you know, Skid had done some tags and we hooked up with him and whatever. But, I mean, nobody really looked for it. You could get away with a lot more shit than you can now because passersby would just look at you and think, what an asshole, and keep on walking. It didn't really occur to most of them to even call the cops. You know, they just figured you were some dick writing on something and that was going to be the end of it. They didn't know you were going to keep going down the street until you were out of paint or markers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the, the level of hatred towards it wasn't really there. People definitely weren't down with it, and people did call the cops, but the cops didn't, you know, really know what to look for. They didn't really know what to think of it. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where we started. You know, we didn't start on legal walls. We didn't start in really out-of-the-way places. The out-of-the-way places we painted, and there were plenty of them, we mostly mostly used for trying new shit out. But as soon as we got something down, we went and hit shit with it. You know, so the storefronts, I mean, you know, it goes back to, you know, look like a bum, whatever. Uh, storefront and Sugar House, one of the times we got one of the really hot ones there that they were looking for was uh, I was out bombing with a friend of mine who was female. You know, and I'm, I'm halfway done with the thing. Turn around, there's a cop right there. So we just grabbed each other and act like we were making out. Cop slowed down, looked over, thought it was just some couple, and drove off. So I heard and finished it, and we got the fuck out. <laughs> uh, there's probably a uh, there's probably countless near near <laughs> close calls like that. Uh, you know, for years you were the most wanted rider uh, for <laughs> Salt Lake Metropolitan <laughs> uh, area and uh, gang task force is what uh, our graffiti division was called back then. They kind of lumped it all together. Yep. Um, uh, 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 can you think of any other close calls that um, heightened your awareness as an aftermath in, 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 in either planning or how you executed what you did? Well, part of it's I'm paranoid by nature, just from all the, you know, just from all the beef and shit long before I ever got into graffiti, you know, always eyes in the back of your head but you know there was one in seattle where god i can't even remember the whole thing just it was one of the closest we got chased out of uh the old train station there and most of it was below ground and it was another one of those places where you know you get down there it's pitch black you look over there's a guy with a fucking roll of you know with a roll of bills the size of your head just serving people and you look you know you look out in the dark and all you see are lighters you know and little torches and shit going and we were casting some throw-ups there that were visible from one of the streets and they rolled on us there and it wasn't just one cop seeing it you know i mean they they came in in force and we bounced out every direction running through that shit people are fucking you know people are going insane because they're down there trying to get away with their own shit and then here we are bringing the heat so they were fucking pissed and anyway we ended up bouncing out and you know running through all the underground train tunnels and everything and I was on edge enough, I was scared enough and pumped up enough that I ended up clearing this fence that was, had to have been a 10 foot high fence with barbed wire, 
and all I remember is running for it and thinking, man, there's no way I'm getting over this thing, but there's nothing else I can do. I don't even remember how I did it. All I know is at one point I was on the top of the fence with my hand between the wire, my legs straight out, came down, somehow didn't break my damned ankles and got away and met up with the rest of the guys. And, you know, the way they got away was the same kind of shit, you know. They all, I did, nobody, nobody knew how the hell any of us had gotten out of there. And somehow we all made it out okay. So right now, I just was thinking about fewer because this guy right here, fewer, uh, God rest his soul, would just be laughing at. As we're talking, this little old man's got to be like sixty something years old, can't be taller than five five. Runs through with uh, some gray sweatpants and this uh, 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 lime lime green puffy nineteen seventies early eighties uh, winter coat with some old school headphones on, balded. Running through behind us as we're talking right now, shaking it, clasping his arms up and down uh, like he's flexing his biceps as he's like speed walking. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about fewer another time. But uh, maybe we should talk about fewer because you know we we everybody I've interviewed so far, he's just had a funny personality out there and uh, would always uh, uh, find people like this eccentric personalities and, and characters like that to be a, a riot and a hood. And uh, I'm sure shaped his perspective on a lot. Uh, how did you end up meeting uh, Fewer? What was his original original name, first of all? How did you meet him? And, uh, you know, how long was it before he was able to get into AOD and, and all of that good stuff? Let's talk about some of that. He was in TBH, is what he got down in to begin with. He wrote Hoax. I knew his older brother, and some of my friends knew him, I think mostly through skateboarding, actually. So that's kind of how we met him. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you meet somebody, they just start hanging out, and we just got down from there. Cool. And then how did he come up with the name Fewer? You know, I have no idea. (laughs) Okay, neither do I. (laughs) He had different things. You know, uh, Furious, I think, is where it came from the most. But Fewer just was, for the way he, you know, he just liked that better, liked the way it looked, thought it flowed better from him. But, yeah, it was from uh, Furious. If I remember right, that's so dope. He is an awesome kid. Uh, always will be. Um, as we as we talk about graffiti art, what's your experience of it today? I don't even know. <laughs> I look at stuff, and <clears throat> I mean, there are kids that are out there doing shit, but not nearly like they should be. At least you know. And I haven't traveled in a long time, unfortunately. But you know, here in town. I think part of the reason the scene here was so good for so long is, you know, all it takes is a couple guys to go out and really kill shit to motivate everybody. You know, some of them are going to be motivated, like, you know, holy shit, that, you know, they just get some hyped up. They're excited to see it. They want to do it. Other people, you know, get jealous, get all pissed off. Fuck that shit. I'm better than that. Fuck that. I want the fame, whatever. You know, and whatever. That might be a shitty attitude, but still, it gets them out there you know killing shit so you know it doesn't really take much to to get a city on fire you know you don't need a ton of just down ass motherfuckers to go out and organize it or anything like that it's it's definitely got a snowball effect so you know like like you were talking about you know siva and you know that other kid animal yeah and it wouldn't take you know it wouldn't take much more guts is doing you know just sick shit but, you know, it, as far as the bombing goes, which to me is what it really is all about, you know, the legal shit's cool just from an, from an artistic perspective. But, 
to me, it's not graffiti. Somebody who only does legal walls, to me, is not, you know, and, and once again, it's a term that I don't fully like, but it's the only one, really. But to me, they're not really graffiti artists. They're graffiti-inspired artists, you know, and I don't, I don't care where you come from, <clears throat> what kind of, what you got behind you, what you've done in the past. If you go and do, you know, style-wise, you're the sickest, history-wise, you're the sickest, whatever, you do a fucking piece on a canvas and hang it in a gallery, it's graffiti-inspired. It's not fucking graffiti. You know, I mean, even just from a literal sense, graffiti is not, graffiti is just, you know, illegal shit on a wall, something you took it upon yourself to put there. So for it to be sanctioned robs it of a lot. Artistically, it doesn't take anything away from it, well, visually anyway, but to me, I mean, you know, like the term graffiti artist, for me, you know, 80% of the art, you know, that I did, if you want to call it that, any, but looking at it, you know, as, as an art, 80% of that was what it took to get it on the wall. Climbing the fucking standpipe to hit that thing. Dodging the law. You know, all the way down to, you know, beef with other writers and having to watch out for that. Anything. That was, that to me contributes to the art. That's as much of the medium as the pen or the spray paint can is, you know. The old guys had to go out and dig shit out of the dirt and scrape stuff off of everything to mix their paints and come up with stuff. You know, the old masters, they didn't go to the store and buy a fucking tube of paint. They actually had to go in and put in a ton of work that seemed unrelated just to paint the masterpieces that they did that, you know, for all for all time will stand on their own. To me, graffiti is the same way, you know. Every, like I said, you know, and, you know, being in shape, keeping an eye out, you know, not being concerned about looking like an like an idiot you know putting on some crazy get-ups for a disguise shit like that that's all a part of the art that's part of the medium you know it's just as necessary to graffiti art to me as a brush and a canvas is to a traditional artist and that's that's lost on a legal wall that's lost in a gallery not to say there isn't a place for that shit but i think there needs to the distinction needs to be made, but it's a it's a clear distinction. It's it's not it's it shouldn't be lumped into the same category. No, not at all. Like I said, it's graffiti inspired. You got plenty of people who bomb like hell. You know, we all did. No matter what we were doing, you know, we might go hit a legal wall and do a production, but then we went. You know, we got back down to business. But by the same token, I didn't look at the pieces I did on legal walls, commissioned or not, as being the same thing as you know. Like I said, even just a, a marker tag on a box somewhere. It was totally different to me. Or even, you know, an illegal full wild style or an illegal production that we had put up, I did not put in the same category as us going and hitting a legal wall and doing a production. To me, it's it's always been totally separate. And always will be. Word. And I've always agreed with you, harmonized with uh, most of your philosophies throughout life. It really assisted me and has uh, shaped me as an individual, as an artist, as, uh, you know, uh, just as who I am fundamentally too. And I, and I do agree with that completely. Um, do, do agree with that completely. What would you like to say to just artists in general, not artists today, but graph writers today about anything right now, about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, the getting up, staying up, 
whatever. What 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 would you like to say? I don't know. That's hard. I mean, I don't really care what someone's motivation is as long as they're going out and getting up, you know. And today, you know, the more I look at it, the biggest thing I think I would say, and I, I don't want to sound like some old fart who's got all the answers, you know, telling these kids what to do or anything, but get off the fucking computer. Quit talking about this shit and go bomb. <laughs> That's pretty much it, you know. I mean, the Internet and all that kind of shit, it's, it's cool and it definitely has its place and it can definitely be used, but don't go do one fucking piece and then put it up everywhere you possibly can and then get online and talk about yourself and everything else and think that you've just fucking... It just seems like a chicken shit way to try to get fame to me. You know, I mean, if you're out bombing and you're out putting in work and, you know, you're going for yours, that's going to come anyway. And it's a lot more satisfying when you get online and Google yourself and a ton of shit pulls up and you weren't the one who put it there. You know? I mean, basically just... Get off your ass, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. So right now with uh, where you're at, do you do any other, do you do any other, um, are there any other mediums of self-expression that you enjoy? No, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of opportunity to paint just right now, but do you do anything else? Do you write? Do you, do you, do you do anything or have you enjoyed anything else? Over the years, I've been really big on writing, um, just exploring different types of art. You know, influence-wise, you know, traditional art, non-traditional, just other forms of art have always been a huge influence, more so probably than other graffiti. But, you know, at the moment, I've, I haven't been doing a whole lot, so I'm a hypocrite for telling people to get off their asses. <laughs> well, I think, I think there's an allowance there, though, just because your, your contribution, uh, you know, up, in, up until now has been significant, more so than what most people ever do, so... Yeah, but I don't believe in resting on your laurels. Oh, I love that you said that. <laughs> you know, people talk about, oh, I've, I've paid my dues. You know, that's, that's like another acronym that I had for AOD, Action Overdose. Yep. Dope. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you get a lot of people out there who, you know, they're resting on their laurels and, you know, they may have done, regardless of what they've done and what, you know, the prices they've paid for it, the fact is you're done paying your dues when you get out of the fucking game. That's it. If you're going to be a part of it and claim to be a part of it, you better fucking be doing something, you know? Right now, I've with some shit going on, I'm kind of, I've got to keep a low key and I'm kind of undercover, but that's, that's for the moment. It's so is, that, is, that, is that perhaps maybe an <clears throat> alias or something that might happen? Can somebody think uh, something like that might occur? We won't say the alias name, but I mean, have you considered writing something else? <laughs> Let's just say the shit isn't over for me. Where? Still, my heart's still in it as much as it ever was. Just unfortunately, you know, well, fortunately, I've got some other things in my life that occupy some of my time. And unfortunately, I've got some things that are occupying my time. But no, I mean, the shit's definitely not over. Good. That's exciting for a lot of people to hear and uh, certainly for me. Um do you have any um, looking back at uh, you know some of your experience is there any anything that shaped you maybe negatively as a result of hip hop or would you say even the negative assisted in, in aspiring you to be to push your boundaries I mean is there anything when looking back at is there anything that's actually held you back as being a better person because of because of graffiti or, or would you say even the negative has, has assisted you in being better? No, I think, you know, just 
the negatives definitely pushed me forward, tried to look for other things. You know, I mean, there, there were times there where, you know, part of what I took bombing, you know, it wasn't just grabbing my cans and my marker. I went out bombing for a long time with, you know, I had zip guns hidden in yards. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that wasn't a part of it. That was just something that came along. And, you know, a lot of the guys in the crew thought I was an asshole, and a lot of my friends did, and rightfully so in a lot of respects. But, you know, I, there was there was all sorts of beef. There were other people carrying guns that had beef, and, you know, for better or worse, I wasn't going to let some shit like that stop me from getting up. I wasn't, look, you know, out looking to shoot anybody or, you know, even out looking to beat somebody's ass. You know, we tried to avoid that. But sometimes shit happens, and well, I always remembered, um, you know, to make a distinction on that too. I remember something that always shaped me. I think I was eighteen or something at that time when I had met you, and uh, around that, and um, you know, you always, you know, at that time we had heard about tag bangers, and 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 fools killing each other over art. And I remember early on our philosophy had been. Uh, you know, people's art sucked so bad that they had to carry a gun that, you know, they should give up riding altogether and just start strictly shooting people, you know, or just, you know, choose one side or the other. Do you have any particular feelings now about tag banging or people having to carry guns for art or or anything like that? Any distinctions or anything you'd like to say? Well, the difference, I think, is, you know... it it's one thing and and granted you know I, I can understand why a lot of people would think it was stupid that we did occasionally or that I did in particular or whatever or you know that people got beat and you know the shit that happened to people but you know we were doing this thing and external forces were coming into play and like I said we weren't going to let that stop us there was no fucking way this was you know this was my life and no one's you know you want to you want to take it to that level fine I'm not giving up my life for you know your idiocy the tag banger thing to me was more a case it it never came off to me like people having to carry guns and you know going to beef and shit like that over their art it seemed the other way around it was more of a fucking not a gangster mentality but like a peewee gangster mentality where they're out trying to make a name for themselves and all they care about is being fucking hard and that sort of shit and the so tagging the, ad- the attitude came first yeah, and the tagging was secondary. That was more the the vehicle they used to to get into those situations that they were looking for in the first place. If it hadn't have been graffiti, they'd have found something else to go get into beef over. They'd have just you know tried to get courted into some set or something like that. So to me, no, that that wasn't the same thing. But you know, different places over the years. I mean, that, that's always come up. You know, where beef happens and it spirals and just for the sake of bombing people are out there you know and you know creating a situation where somebody could or does get killed people bombing with weapons just so they don't get fucked with but their priority is bombing and they're not letting anything step you know stand in the way of that so i think there's definitely a differentiation there between between the two so in 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 the evolution of aod there has been um you know what I'd always considered uh, uh, a shadow sect <laughs> of of AOD uh, of the in in my opinion, uh, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was just these few artists, but in my opinion, ended up becoming the most up riders, the most hard riders, the most ill riders that simply, in in lack of a better term, did not give a fuck. 
Yeah, and this little random, uh, <laughs> I won't call you guys bandits, but what should I call you guys? Uh, uh, your little uh, your shadow sect of AOD. Uh, uh, how would you explain the mystery men called uh, boys from the county hell? Who, who were they? And what the hell made you guys do what you did so much of, dude? Holy shit. I don't even know. We never looked at it as being any separate thing or any, like, it was just something we we wrote. It was mainly the guys, not entirely, but mainly, you know, it kind of started with uh, when we got into trains heavy. You know, it was kind of the guys, we were the ones who went in and, you know, we always brought a couple magnums of wine and, you know, instead of just going in and doing a piece and leaving, you know, we hung around and talked to the hobos and shit like that. And, you know, and, and outside of that, you know, there was the street stuff too, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's weird that people even bring that up because that was just something we all kind of wrote. <laughs> but who 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 started? Not who started it? But uh, when you say, "What did boys from the county hell mean to you?" What what was what did the main name mean, and what did it represent? We stole it from a Pogue song. That's <laughs> that's where the name came from, and it was just a spontaneous thing, you know. Just wrote it, and then we all just kind of started hitting it up, and we were out together. <laughs> Dope. And and uh, you know more specifically though there there is um, quite a contribution that was made from the boys of the county hell um, you know you and maybe a couple other of the most up AOD writers uh, who were they that you enjoyed spending a lot of your time with when you were painting about trains specifically I liked getting out with all the guys I was always disappointed when somebody was you know when somebody wasn't hanging out as much but train wise. Sway and I lived together, so, you know, we kind of turned into, you know, it was nothing outside or above AOD, but since we were, the, you know, living together and hitting the trains, you know, nonstop, most of the time we were going into the yards twice a day, shit like that. So Twice a day? Yep. Yeah, more often than not, twice a day on the weekdays, and then weekends, you know, that was just all day. Back and forth, back and forth hit him go back for more paint we didn't have more paint we'd go racking and go back <laughs> uh, okay um i'm feeling prompted to bring up none right now another another tbh head i met him in tbh i know that uh he was one of the first members of aod it was uh ui ego none uh you know you first and it didn't really matter the order after that but um Let's uh, you know again. I'm feeling prompted to, to talk about none. Is there anything that comes up for you when I say none? None's the man. Going back to the train thing real quick. Carol was, Carol was in there. You know, as far as who was hitting the trains the most, uh, Maze and Fewer were doing tons of them. But as far as you know, who I went out with the most on trains, it would have to be Sway and Carol. As far as just you know sheer quantity, that's who that's who I was with. But as far as none goes, none's the man. You know he. He was one of the first here, period. Uh, you know, he was, you know, one of the core writers in TBH. AOD, I don't think I really started that so much as I kind of, I guess I kind of came up with the acronym, but, you know, he was the core guy there. And, you know, that was the thing about AOD is we didn't have, there was no hierarchy. There was just everybody had equal input, everybody had equal say. But yeah, Nunn is definitely one of the core guys. And not just on the graffiti side of things, but, you know, in my life, Nunn's been one of the core guys since, you know, pretty much the day I met him. He's been one of the 
one of the core guys in my life. I've got a tattoo of him on my arm, so. No, no shit. Word, dude. That's dope as fuck. Word, dope as fuck. So, and, yeah. and you know, I, I'm, uh, for everybody listening there, again, I wasn't bringing his name up to, to, to separate him out from uh, any of the other artists, because I know you feel very strongly about everybody who had participated in, does participate in AOD. Um, but I, I just I felt really prompted to bring to bring him up right now. So, um, Sludge, we could go off for hours. I I, I think the next interviews uh, we get to have together, maybe a follow up interview, would be directly with you and uh, some of the boys from County Hell. <laughs> uh, how would that be for you? Yeah, I think it needs to be done. And I mean, you know, definitely need to bring Nunn in on it because he is in the in the Salt Lake scene. He's one of the you know he is definitely as important as anybody period for getting for getting it started and uh for you bay city writers out there in san francisco you can uh, just uh keep your eye out on some rooftops because none is still up and riding uh aod and none and uh whatever other crews he is respectfully representing uh, he's still bombing to this day so right. mad love mad respect to none yeah that's where he came from was berkeley so he had a he had a better idea when we first started getting into it than most of us simply because he'd been out there and you know he'd actually seen what it could turn into whereas we were just flying by the seat of our pants so that's so dope dude sledge uh i want to thank you for your time it's been difficult to get a hold of you mostly because of my bad and stuff but it's uh, been a privilege and honor to be able to sit down with you thank you for sharing your words of wisdom your insights your contribution, uh, this quick little profile, this little snapshot, if you would, of uh, of, of of your philosophy um, and who you really are. Uh, thank you for sharing that again with Crime Time, Golden Spike Empire, Apostle International. Um, are there any last any things that you would like to share? Say, no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Right, we, we've covered quite a bit of it. I no more are going to come up. So people out there um, eagerly anticipate uh, the future interviews, expect an all-out uh, destruction interview all together uh, of the Angels of Death or, or just AOD, period, crew. We're going to have a crew interview. Uh, we're going to certainly profile boys from the county hell together, and we're going to hear all kinds of mad ramblings going on, I'm sure, of different stories that we provoke, provoke uh, uh, in doing so. Um, uh, with that again, Sledge, thank you. Uh, no greater friend, no worse enemy, if you've known him. And uh, and uh, anyway, health and abundance to all of you out there. Yeah, kids just need to go out and get up. If your shit sucks, do more of it. The more you do it, the better you'll get. Who cares if your shit sucks, just get up. Who cares? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really all I've got to say about anything. Sorry. That's all right, bud. Well, health and abundance to you, Sledge, and health and abundance to everybody else out there. And uh, arrive in perfection in wherever you guys are going. Peace out. Yep. See you.